to Fireside with the BC. My name is Andrew Romans, and I'm excited to have George Hoyam, whom I've known for many years, um, on the podcast. George is a managing partner of InQtel, which is the strategic venture capital arm of the U.S. intelligence community. I actually first came into contact with InQtel when I was an entrepreneur in Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia, in the mid to late 90s, and people said it was the CIA fund but I believe that this has evolved quite a bit. So George, welcome to the podcast and thanks for making time. Thanks, Andrew, I appreciate you inviting me on. It's gonna be fun. Yeah, I mean, 10 and a half years too, that flew by awfully fast. You've been, I didn't realize you've been there for so long. It seems like uh, it hasn't been that long, but you know, I'd love it if you could just explain what InQtel is, how it came into being and how it's evolved and maybe a bit of, of uh, what its purpose is. Sure. So InQtel, the original idea was pretty simple. It was, uh, you know, back in the 2000, the dot-com era, actually, the, the George Tenet, who was running the CIA and a group of other people had seen innovation previously coming out of places like Xerox, Park, and Raytheon and systems integrators. And then when the dot-com era occurred, they realized, now oh, there's 18,000 venture capital-backed startups. That's where the innovation's occurring is in the commercial companies and markets. And we're missing out on all that stuff. The last place in the world a startup's going to go is knock on the door of the CIA. And so they had the insight to say, hey, let's create an entity a, or, or, or a company that is populated by you know people like myself, career venture capitalists and others, so that we can reach into the startup community and pick out you know emerging technologies way in advance of when they would be visible to the government and then guide those technologies into problems of national intelligence. And so we've evolved from that point to support now uh, eight intelligence directorates. But the idea was pretty simple and the goal is to guide those technologies and run pilots at scale against real problems. And so InQtel was formed in 1999 and it's, it, we're actually a nonprofit. We're a 501c3, we're a distinct and separate entity. We're not part of the government. And we have our own board of directors. We call them a board of trustees, uh, who George Tenet now is, is actually on our board. And we, we get our authorities through a, a, a contract with our executive sponsor, which is the CIA. So we've evolved way beyond just the CIA. And we now support these other directorates, you know, NSA, FBI, et cetera. And we are doing 50 to 60 investments a year. So we're probably one of the most active strategic investors in the world. And we service both the intelligence, but also the national security infrastructure of the United States. And and isn't the Pentagon one of the parties that you're supporting? Is that right? Well, the Pentagon is DOD, and uh, they have these things called the combatant commands, which is Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. So if you think about it, we don't do a lot of, you know, like 95% of the companies we back have never done business with the federal government. So we're taking commercial startups and showing them a dual use into the government. Uh, so, um, you know, we don't do as much with the Pentagon or the Pentagon associated groups as, as we do with the intelligence agencies, but we do have relationships with some of the commands in the Pentagon in certain pockets. But, uh, you know, you, you have to do the intersection of where venture capital investing is occurring, where the interests are. So if somebody came to us and said, hey, we want to you go find a better material for stealth bombers. Well, guess what? There's no venture capital investing in that area. Right, so right. it's more uh, where VC uh, investments overlap with uh, with the intelligence and government. And so mostly it's intelligence and national security. Right. 
And it, it, you guys are a unique form of really corporate venture capital where the classic CVC corporate venture capital group is looking for strategic returns that are gonna you know, bring new revenue streams or lower costs or optimize the existing business and evolving business and get external innovation and bring it in internally. You guys have some pretty clear um, LPs, you know, and I think you call them stakeholders. Um, you know, so I'm kind of curious to know, do you guys, like a lot of CBCs, Intel Capital would typically have this offsite once a year, come up with the four major categories of investment themes for the year, and then kind of try to be big and present in those categories. Do you guys have, you know, a, a very clear framework or is it just super broad? Yeah, so we are a strategic investor and we invest for mission impact. Uh, we, we often back really commercially successful companies because the best impact you can have is investing in killer technology that becomes very successful and, uh, and drive that into problems of national intelligence. So um, we start with the workflow of what we do starts not, not, not dissimilar from a corporate investor or more strategic, but uh, we start with what we call problem sets. So every one of the agencies we serve has a thing called an InQtel Interface Center. And this is, you know, uh, one to 30 people on the payroll of the agencies we serve. Think of them almost like P&Ls inside of a gigantic corporation. And these InQtel interface centers form the basis of the connective tissue back into these agencies. And they start with problem sets. And so they give us problem sets that, hey, in a perfect world, if you could find me a company to solve X, Y, or Z problem, uh, that would be great. And those problem sets get issued to us once a year. And then we map those problem sets into where the venture capital investing is occurring. And that gives us, you know, what I call a partial shopping list of where we should go to solve problems. We don't do deals until we get someone inside the agencies we serve to commit to piloting capability at scale against a real problem. So we have very strong signal from our stakeholders about what problems they're trying uh, or they want us to pursue. And then we go off uh, uh, to implement those deals. And we also are looking over the horizon. A lot of the other things we do are what we call situational awareness activities, where we see things breaking in the venture capital community that the intelligence community or our stakeholders have never seen before. So we'll go back to them and say, hey, I know you're looking at this problem this way, but there's this new capability, whether it be you know, an accelerated GPU engine or artificial intelligence being applied to a particular problem, or et cetera. And then we will inform them of these new ideas and do deals that are maybe not on their list because they hadn't anticipated these breakthrough technologies that can help them with their problems writ large. So with, with some CVCs, like we we're talking about Motorola Ventures, you know, in its oldest, oldest form, Moto, to make sure something was strategic, you'd actually have to sign a commercial agreement between the startup and Motorola before an investment could get green lighted in money wired. So they were famously investing in the next round after the one that they were originally looking at because they were slow. On the other end of the continuum, some CVCs, corporate investors um, will invest in the company and be fast and then attempt to get a BU business unit to do business. And their hit rate is, you know, maybe below 50%. Um, you know, so these are kind of the two, you know, extreme ways you can go. With you guys, are you requiring like a pilot and you know a green light from some part of your stakeholder community in every single case, or are you investing and hoping to get something on? 
Yeah, so we have uh, two kinds of investments we do. The first kind is an equity-only investment. We call them seed deals, and they're not necessarily seed stage, but they're small, you know, kind of zero to a million dollar kind of investments. And they're usually at series C, A, or B, and they're in companies where we want to get a foot in the door. Maybe it's something that's accelerating very fast, or maybe it's in front of our stakeholders' ability to fully understand it. So we get involved about a, maybe a third of our deals a year are these equity-only deals, and a very high percentage of those turn into the next type that I'll talk about, which is what we call a uh, work program deal. So the work program deals, which is the kind of two-thirds of what we do, these are deals where we bake in an adaptation project. Because if you think about a young startup who's never seen the government or even talked to them, and their VCs are probably saying, stay away from the government, you'll be dead by the time you sell them something. So we come in and guide them in like a rifle shot into a specific you know, opportunity, but they probably don't have the right features needed to run you know, software on a classified network or to have you know, a language that's needed or access control for a cloud infrastructure. So we will help them prioritize their features from their roadmap and to give them NRE dollars, non-recurring engineering dollars, to help them prioritize and fund those activities so that the pilot that they run against this real problem has the right feature set. And so our deals typically take half of the cash we give them, which could be one to three, one to $4 million. Half shows up as generally NRE that funds the pilot and these features they need and all the support to make that happen. And then the other half shows up as equity. And so that you know is done when we get a commitment from the end user to pilot against a real problem. So 70% of our investments get piloted against real problems in the agencies we serve and about half of them get adopted, which means the company and the customer conduct business directly. And so that's basically our batting average at this point. Okay, okay, excellent. And I, you know, when you talk to a typical CEO of a large corporation with a CVC, and you say, what's more important to you, strategic or financial? He's all about strategic, doesn't care about the financial. The CFO doesn't care about strategic and only cares about, you know, financial. For you guys, I think of you as being strategic, but I think you got into Palantir very early and Palantir probably wouldn't exist if it hadn't been for, for InQtel. How early did you invest in Palantir? Um, well, Pal- yeah, Palantir was, a, was a, a seed investment. We were in the first round, the Series A round. And right. we did help them understand the use cases uh, you know, of our customer base, which resulted in you know, uh, them becoming a very successful company. But they did ask us, hey, can you introduce us to some real people doing this work. Uh, we want to understand their use cases and, their, and how to satisfy their problem. Um, but we, we do get involved very early, but I always say to people, nobody does anything strategic unless your company is highly successful. Because if you invest in a company that's marginal and it goes out of business, you're wasting everybody's time. Yeah. So it is the Venn diagram. We are a strategic investor. So we occasionally do things that are commercially viable, but not venture backable. And so we yeah. have to convince ourselves that it's a it's a viable business that's going to thrive and grow, so it can satisfy the requirements of our of our partners. But we have you know acute success with you know large companies that are successful because we draft their success. And the government, we're not building anything that's a one off for the government. We want to leverage their commercial success and draft that and put it to a dual use inside government use cases. But yeah, so we, we do things that are, you know, not commercially viable, but, or excuse me, commercially viable, but not venture backable. Uh, but you want to back successful companies either way. So, you know, we have a good reputation of having real low mortality in our portfolio and, and really backing some winners. 
A great quote that is just spot on this topic is Les is the founder of Intel Capital. He was actually a mm -hmm. junior co-founder of Intel itself. So he right. had, you know, the power to not get canceled. And he's got a great quote that says, there's nothing strategic about investing in a company that goes bankrupt. And, Indeed. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I mean, that's just true. I mean, it's a dead body. What it's, what's it going to do for anybody, you know, right. at that point? Um, not bad to keep not getting canceled. Um, well, well, great. Well, what are you, what um, geography do you invest in? I mean, I mean, you, you kind of answered the question on stage. So it's a multi-stage fund, but um, typically how late are you investing? Um, U.S. is a pretty easy place to focus, but what's your investment strategy outside the United States? Yeah. So just from stage, we're typically seed A and B because, you know, we write these checks, you know, zero to $4 million. And in a later stage company, that kind of cash and, and help is not going to, you know, move the needle. It's going to be more of a distraction. So we like to get involved early where we can have an impact in the company's roadmap and really make an outsized impact on their ability to succeed. Uh, in terms of geographies, you know, we're primarily North American focused. We have offices in Boston. Our headquarters is in Arlington, Virginia. And then uh, the West Coast office out here in California is maybe half of our investment team. We also recently opened up offices in Sydney, Australia, and London in the UK. And those offices do international investments in both the Asian sector and the European sector. And uh, we've had a very successful you know, launch of that program because the venture capital world today is global. It's not about you know, Silicon Valley and it's not about just the US. There's innovation happening all over the world. And we have a very comprehensive view of that now with, with those international offices. And what is, what is the, I mean, I would imagine whatever your headcount is, you've got access to all these experts, you know, throughout the web of all of your stakeholders that enables you to research and run things up the flagpole, domain expertise, but what, what is total headcount of people that are full, fully dedicated to InQtel? You know, we're about 170 people right now. Uh, you know, there's, we have a very deep technical bench of subject matter experts, uh, you know, PhD style experts, you know, whether it be artificial intelligence or batteries or material science, et cetera. We do some biology stuff too. Um, we have a, a investment teams, probably 20 people. The investment team has a tendency to be a little bit more generalist and, you know, some, some geographic focus and relationship driven, but our special subject matter specialists are really deep in various domains and they, uh, they affiliate very closely with our customers. So not only are we getting domain experts that are on staff that we can rely on, but we're also validating ideas and, and companies against our customer use cases and having them talk to them directly. So that's why I think our portfolio is, is such high quality because by that cross validation, we're really, really good at picking winners. You know, in any category, whether it be cybersecurity or you know, NoSQL or AI things happening today, there's probably five or 10 or 15 companies in every single little niche trying to attack that problem and the trick is to pick the winner for the top one or two companies. And we've got a pretty good batting average of, of doing that with these resources. I would think even if you don't pick the winner, you get smart on a category and that business intelligence is reaching objectives anyway. Um, obviously there's nothing strategic about investing in the company that doesn't make it or that's the winner. But um, you know, that intelligence brings you know, returns returns as well. Yeah, actually, actually, a good example of that is quantum computing. Um, you know, quantum computing, there's various techniques, whether it be trapped ion or 
what's called uh, um, annealing or gate models. And so in the case of quantum, it's, a, it's an emerging area. It's very early, but the outsized potential is really large. So we've actually invested in virtually every category of quantum computing to pick, you know, and, and understand deeply what's happening in those in those areas, so that we can be smart about, you know, when that breaks out. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a big game changing topic without any question. Yeah. On on international stuff too, you're you're on the board of directors. You're still on the board of the National Venture Capital Association, right? Right. And um, you guys have been, I believe, instrumental in monitoring how CFIUS works. So. If a company wants to even have an export license to places like Japan and China, I had lunch with um, the CEO and chair and the, like half the board of um, Silicon Catalyst. And they were saying, we were talking about licensing things to China and setting up joint ventures. And they were saying that one of their portfolio companies was blocked from an export license just to Japan. Um, I'm curious to hear even, even explain what is happening with CFIUS at a licensing level, at a customer sell-to level, um, as well as taking capital into a fund from mainland China or onto the cap table of a startup. And, and uh, you know, geopolitics are crazy right now. Yeah, right. So um, what, what I can say is, you know, uh, in my NVCA role, you know, we I we we kind of rep, I kind of represent the strategic or corporate venture arm of our industry, and so we're trying to represent to the NVCA and, and and the activities that they do. You know, sort of that perspective of the corporate strategic uh, part of our industry. That being said, CFIUS and FIRMA, which was a legislation passed last year, and some things that are happening around you know ITAR, which is related to export restrictions is really changing the landscape of, you know, foreign ownership and control. And it's become, you know, very complicated. So one thing we like to do is, is not only understand what these rules are so that we can help our companies navigate those waters, but also try and, you know, educate uh, stakeholders on unintended consequences of, of these, uh, these legislative items. So, um, you know, the companies, you know, who secure capital from various parts of the world the CFIUS regime has now got a more constraining overlay about where capital sourced from and what's being allowed and what, and what processes the government's running to make sure that the capital's coming from the right places without the right control mech or with the right control mechanisms, particularly as it relates to strategic technology areas. So, you know, it's, it's a complicated canvas. And one of the reasons we like to be involved with NBCA is to really deeply understand how those legislative items are breaking and then educate our portfolio companies and other investors on how to navigate those and continue to do business with the government and service the intelligence community without being blocked out of it or making mistakes and where they source capital from around the world. And if a company say were to sell 10% of their share capital to a Chinese VC fund, that's not necessarily a state-owned enterprise SOE. Would that what what would the consequences of that be, if any? Well, I don't think they people specify percentage ownerships to, against particular countries, but the Treasury Department and DoD run a process where if companies are questioning what the impact of that would be, they can do uh, filing with them 
and get uh, you know them to opine on the implications of their technology against various capital sources. So the good news is that the these these agencies they're not trying to they're not trying to get in the way of capital formation, startup innovation, and you know global being a global competitive you know canvas for U.S. backed companies. They want to you know um, be in the flow of unintended consequences from capital sources. So I can't really opine on various capital directions and, and what the government would say, but I can say that there are great processes. They're pretty quick actually where companies can submit, you know, and, 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 and ask for clarification around moves that they want to make, whether it be sourcing capital or working with various countries and capital sources. So the good news is the government's trying to pay attention and, and stop unintended consequences from happening. So that's the good news. And when you say fast, you know, I, I jokingly say that when uh, a corporate tells you what month you forgot to ask what year, uh, how, fa <laughs> how fast, how fast is fast? Um, you know, I've seen them respond to requests in, you know, 30 days or, or less, yeah. uh, and, they, and they want to be responsive. So, um, you know, the, there are various parts of the Treasury and DOD that, that, are, that have a pretty big staff associated with trying to make sure there's, you know, that we're taking the friction out of the system. And they, they really don't want startups to come into constraints on raising capital or sourcing capital from around the world. And what is FIRMA? What is the FIRMA legislation? What is that? What is that about? FIRMA was a recent, uh, and, and I'll Google this while we're talking, uh, so I get the acronym right. Um, FIRMA was legislation, it was part of CFIUS, but it was a newly passed law um, that, uh, let me see if I can look this up. Um, you know, I don't have the acronym in front of me, but it was, it was an enhanced part of CFIUS, of the CFIUS regime. So, um, in fact, the, the National Venture Capital Association website has some excellent content that's available to anybody okay. uh, on FIRMA and CFIUS and, and what recent laws were passed, um, you know, to, to sort of clarify foreign ownership and control items uh, for the startup community. And so this was a regime that was passed last year and it had pretty far reaching implications for, you know, where capital is being sourced. So it's a good thing to pay attention to, but the NVCA website has excellent resources that can help explain all this stuff and guide them to the right places. Okay, I'll look it. I'll look it up, run it by you, and I can put put it in the show notes so people can click to okay. it if they're listening to this or or, or, or viewing this. Um, what's your experience? I mean, you you've been at this for ten and a half years now. One hundred and seventy people, one of the most active investors in the world. Some, I mean, if you think of a Vietnam protester in the 70s wanting to take money from Richard Nixon or not. Some of these founders are these Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs, contrarian, alternative people that are not trying to get along with everybody, but they're disrupting a lot of stuff. I would think that for some startups, there's nothing they'd rather say than, my God, I've got the intelligence community of this country backing what we're doing and we're making a difference. And there's gonna be other ones that say, I would love to have access to you guys and channel us through government and point, you know, give us non-recurring revenue and all that. But do you sometimes keep it um, top secret that you're investing into the company, or is it, uh, you know, it, it's, how does that work? Yeah. So Inqtel doesn't do anything that's top secret. So just you know, we're we're open company. We do things that are confidential, like any strategic or corporate or, or even VC for that matter. 
Um, so nothing we do is really top secret. Uh, now we, so, so on, to address the like the national defense infrastructure and and, and, um, and intelligence community, you know, there, there are pockets of people who, who, who you see who, who uh, resist or are not super excited about, you know, working with that part of our government. But to be honest with you, you know, we do almost, we don't do a lot of consumer facing tech, but, but the vast majority of companies and venture capitalists that we work with are really excited to work with InQtel and, and our government customers. To be honest with you, the government and the agencies we serve are gigantic customers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, startups want to survive and thrive and, and be successful. And so we find very little uh, resistance to working with us, surprisingly, despite, you know, some of the press that's out there. And we find people being very patriotic about supporting both the government and the U.S. intelligence community and the national security infrastructure that we serve. So, um, you know, despite some of the rhetoric that's out there, uh, we can get into almost any deal we want if there's a fit because of the value we add in terms of cracking open these markets. Um, so we don't do, you know, we do, you know, I don't know, uh, some percentage of our investments are not announced per se. I mean, they're confidential, um, but that's not, not any different than any corporate or strategic investor or venture capitalist for that matter, but it's not like it's a secret. And, you know, working with a company like Palantir, it's, you know, very obvious and plain of how you would guide them to different stakeholders. How far into the government is your reach? I mean, the government drives a lot of what's happening in the United States and around the world. Um, like, what's an example of reaching outside of the classic stakeholder that we would see? Um, or does that happen? Um, well, we, I mean, we're, we're really partners with the government. We're, we're, you know, in many cases, almost an extension of their organizations and very much a trusted partner. And we've earned that trust over 20 years of delivering to them, you know, great innovation. So, you know, deep is, I mean, I would just say we're, we're, we're aware it's a fit. We're, we're welcomed with open arms and we have very frank and candid and, and open discussions with our government partners to solve their problems. And, you know, it's really all about creating efficiencies and sourcing innovation and making government faster, better, cheaper. And, you know, the people in the government, you know, are very, very motivated to, to, to do that. And we're finding more and more, you know, commercial solutions versus something built by a systems integrator at 10 or 20 or 50 times the cost of something you could get from the startup community. But the trick is to guide it in at the right point so you can influence the features to make it to make it work. And we have, you know, many, many examples of companies um, that have satisfied problems, um, you know, for the government, you know, Palantir's one you said, which is obvious, but other ones like that are, that are public, like Cloudera, which invented NoSQL. Um, we invested in, in a company recently called Primer.ai, which does sort of like think of it as Palantir for unstructured text. And they've done lots of business with the government. Uh, we've invested in, you know, um, we did Keyhole back in the day, which was the basis of uh, Google Earth. Uh, and dialed that into the government uh, in a very broad way. It was a very successful endeavor. Um, so, you know, you can look at our website and see the companies that we invest in. And, you know, we often deliver, uh, you know, after we get done with, with uh, our development project, the company can be doing, you know, seven, sometimes eight figure transactions with the government not too long after, you know, we get done with our part. So, uh, that's where it works. It doesn't always work, as I said, but um, 
there's a long history of helping them out. And the more success we have with helping the government, the more they'll bring us in and trust us. So it's a, it's a bit of a flywheel that's been going and it, it has, you know, we've adjusted things along the way, but having been at this for 20 years, we've invested in over 500 companies in the life, in the life of our organization. So it's a, it's a good experience base. And you, you already talked about this a bit, but I just want to formally ask, because um, I find it interesting with every corporate investor or strategic investor, um, how does the IC work? How does your investment committee structured? Is it 100% you guys, or do you have folks that are not, you know, uh, uh, you know, in in Pichel? Yeah, great question. Yeah, so again, we start with these problem sets and like, you know, where we should go solve a problem. And then when we get the first step of that journey is when we get one that we think we want to invest in, the partner of ours inside the agency we serve commits to piloting this, this capability. And they give us a thing we call a value statement, which is a description of, hey, if this works, here's the potential impact it will have. Because in the corporate and strategic area, you want to quantify your impact, both qualitative and quantitatively. So our highest order goal is pilots and adoptions of critical technology. And so we cause them to give us this value statement, which is a little bit of a dog. It's not like a contract, but it's a commitment. You know, like, hey, if you do this, we'll commit to piloting against a real problem. And here's the potential impact it will have. So that's the first step. And then we go to work and do all our classic diligence and, you know, research that any venture capitalist would do to make sure we're investing in the right companies. And then we catalyze that in a document we call a partner's document that we bring forward to a committee of both our executive staff at InQtel and our partners that we invest with. So each partner has a certain amount of money they can and want to spend every year. And so they get to prioritize what they do. But in this partner, and by the way, we often have deals where one, two, I'm doing something right now where we may have seven agencies working on the same project. And imagine the leverage you get where they're all putting money towards something and sharing in the outcome. Uh, so we take that forward to this thing called a partner committee, and then they approve it. So they're in the they're in the room. They have a voice. They get to pick what we do going forward. And then the last step of our approval process is a you know from our board of trustees or directors is a committee called the investment committee. It's a, a group of our board members, and they approve every deal. And so that and then we you know of course consummate it. That's how it works though. You know, I tell people some, I've had some of my own portfolio companies say, oh, I don't want to talk to that CVC because it'll take forever. And I say, hey, yeah. I'd rather send you in there at no cost. And the CVC who we know will navigate you through a complete labyrinth maze and run it right to the correct BU and the right person. So I think it's great for startups to take these meetings, even if they're not expecting a super fast check if they're interested in selling into that organization and getting a partnership. So to, yeah, to, to that end, to figure out the US government from the outside is pretty intimidating right. or could, you could burn a lot of venture capital dollars and get diluted and lift your liquidation stack or you could you know, have somebody meet, talk to you. Right, so that's exactly right. In fact, most VCs will tell their companies, as I said earlier, don't even bother with the government, you'll be dead by the time you sell them something. So with us, you know, we do these deals and we guide them in. We have we also have program management staff on our on our payroll. And so we programmatically guide them through training, design reviews, deliveries of pilots. And then they don't have to hire any federal people. They don't need any clearances. They don't need any cleared people until 
they feel the pull from the other side. Like if they're seeing the government really leaning in and lighting up over the solution they're delivering and saying, yeah, we, we really think this is going to solve our problem. Then the board and the company can make the decision to invest in a couple of federal people, perhaps hire people with clearances and work on you know that part of the equation and then provision a federal channel, but only after they feel the pull from the other side. And that could be, you know, a year into their into our transaction. So you're right. It's a very cost effective way to penetrate the government. And then that becomes a lighthouse account or a lighthouse, you know, success that they can use to amplify and, and sort of leverage into other parts of the government. What is your policy on leading investments and board seats? So we always take board observer seats in every deal we do. We don't take full formal board seats. To, so we want to be in the boardroom. We want to be at the table, help them, guide them, understand what's going on, problems and opportunities. Um, and so we we always take board observer seats. We we can lead deals. We have led deals. I mean, our capital size is, you know, the earlier we go, the perhaps the more influence we have in, in that. But there's no restrictions we have from leading deals, but we, we don't write as big a checks as, uh, as some BCs. So most of the time we're co-investing with other syndicate partners. We've per- virtually co-invested with everybody in Silicon Valley at one point or another. Um, but we, we can lead, have led, but we don't lead that often. And I could probably make some wagering answers to this question, but I've always wanted to know, and for those of you that are just listening to this, the spelling of InQtel is capital I, lowercase n, dash, Q, dash, capital T-E-L, InQtel. Obviously, it's a unique organization, but so is the name. Where in the world did you get that? What does it mean? Well, the guy who stood up InQtel, I'm not sure if I know the full lore, but it was a fellow named Gilman Louie, who was a, a real character. And, uh, you know, InQtel in is sort of a spoof on Q, you know, the James Bond Q. And if you take intelligence, is a word and you right. put Q in the middle of it, that's in QTEL. So that's the story I've heard. So okay, it's sort of a spoof on, on Q, the, you know, the character from the James Bond movie, which is there is actually a, in the CIA, there's a science and technology group and there's a person who leads that. And we, we joke that that person is, uh, is our Q, but uh, the real that's Q. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Q is sort of the sandbox venture capitalists coming up with the latest magic dart throwing watch pen whatever that's hilarious (laughs) that's hilarious and you know uh when something works in one place it starts to pop up another do you have counterparts is there an inqtel of the uk is there an inqtel of in some way half of china is inqtel but you know know, do you see similar intelligence government yeah there's there's a lot of uh so as, as relates to the united states there are um organizations who are out in Silicon Valley and places like this attempting to, they're, they're a different part of the equation than Inkutel. We're a really unique thing. And, and the fact that we got created at all and that the, the, the legislative rules that made that happen and the people that had the insights to create us with the right authorities is really an amazing uh, tribute to creativity and a successful government par- public-private partnership. Um, there's a group called DIU, Defense Innovation Unit, which is sort of rapid procurement for the DOD, and they're kind of out here, and they partner with us on a lot of stuff. Uh, various other agencies have initiatives, but there is nothing like InQtel. And and by the way, we don't like we don't compensate our people on you know the upside of a win. We compensate our people you know like a corporate VC, 
And, uh, you know, we, we pay them for pilots and adoptions and the other mission impacts we have. So we're not getting rich on the backs of the, of the taxpayer payers. Uh, we're paid very well, but, but we're, we have a great alignment. Whereas some initiatives that have been attempted beforehand have not had that balance of alignment. So we're the only thing of its type that exists in the United States. I believe Israel has something similar, uh, but I'm not aware of any other government uh, that has done uh, an incutel yet. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if some people figure it out, but it's a very, I mean, we've had really uh, outsized impact for our, for the amount of money that we spend relative to other things the government does. Uh, you know, you get a lot of bang for the buck. In fact, we say for every dollar we put into an investment, we leverage $18 in venture capital. And we'd like to remind our legislators that that's a pretty good value. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. I mean, look, for, for all the same reasons corporate should do this, my God, if you just look at the military budget, and all these other budgets um, to not be doing it would even, would honestly be tragic um, on savings, mm -hmm. ways to cheat, you know, goals and all that. Um, one of the questions I had was, I don't think you, you know, Wall Street guys will walk across the street for one basis point higher salary if they worship gold as their main religious uh, thing that attracts them. Um, what drives you? I mean, uh, you know, you must feel like a patriot. What, 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 what do you wake up in the morning to get done every day? Yeah, and, and like when I came here, Chris Darby, who's our CEO, and Steve Bauscher, who's our number two EVP, talked me into coming here 10 years ago, and I never thought I would be here this long, to your earlier point. But, you know, when I come in and what I do, you know, there's very few places in the world where you can make an impact like we have. And I've seen acute impact against, you know, both national security initiatives and, you know, the, the, the agencies we serve. So, you know, to get up in the morning and, and be able to actually do something as an individual and with a team of people to, to make an impact in the world, it's, a, it's hard to find those places. So the people that are here, again, we pay them very well, but they're, they're not getting rich. And, and there, are, it, there are people who come here for a tour of duty per se and spend three, four, five years and then go off and join a venture capital firm or maybe get rich at a startup or all that stuff. But the people that are here have some affiliation or, um, you know, commitment to the mission that we serve, which is to serve the U.S. government, the intelligence and our national security infrastructure. So when you get inside uh, the umbrella and you see the things that we do, it makes you really proud and it make, gets you up in the morning because you really make an impact. So people that are here aren't just motivated by money. They're motivated by the mission. Sure. Well, George, thank you so much for coming on. I think it's a great topic. I will put the firma incipius links in in the show notes and um i want to offline talk to you about a few other transactions that i think would be amazing to leverage you guys on and Indeed. thanks so much have a great weekend yeah, th and thank you for allowing us to share part of our story and hope to see you again in the real world very soon all right thank you okay thanks george